Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for coming. So, decided to talk about wealth and poverty. So, um, can we have a show of hands? How many people here feel wealthy? Great. I hope by the time I finish giving the sermon, everyone will feel wealthy. Um, so let's ask the question, what is wealth? I was in uh, Japan. You probably know that our family lived in Japan for a number of years in the 90s. And uh, I remember going to the Hiroshima Museum. I don't know, have people been there to Hiroshima? You've been to the museum in Russia. I mean, it's uh, extraordinary, but you walk in and they have uh, kind of this circular panoramic photo of the destruction of Hiroshima after the Second World War. It's, it's quite uh, mind-boggling. But they also had a visitor's book. And they had the visitor's book open on a page uh, where Mother Teresa had been. And uh, visitors would write a comment. And Mother Teresa had written a quite intriguing comment. Did, did any, has anyone seen this? Her comment was, there are two poor nations in this world. One is Bangladesh and the other is Japan. And I found that very ambiguous. Now, I think the Japanese visiting that museum would say, she is saying that Bangladesh is physically poor, but Japan has suffered this terrible catastrophe. I felt, having lived there, it might have been open to a different interpretation, that there is physical poverty, but there's also spiritual poverty. Now, I think that, you know, I don't want to go down that path too far. Um, and certainly, you know, what we know about our brothers and sisters in Japan, uh, there's no spiritual poverty there. But as a nation, um, I feel that there, there is some validity in that viewpoint. Um, when I was at university uh, in Manchester, they had a comparative religion department, and they used to have some wonderful talks that invite people to come see William nodding his head. Um, I went to one with a monk, and he said something very extraordinary. He said, we monks are the greediest people in the world. He said, not content on storing up treasures in this world, we want to store them up in the next one. <laughs> and I think, obviously, there's a lot of truth in that. And uh, it's very much in line with our view as unificationists. I mean, we see life as a continuum, possibly in three stages, first in the womb and then birth into the physical world, and then afterwards, as we pass into the spiritual world, um, eternal life. So. Um, I think we have to always remember that the present uh, is not going to be the present always. So I was looking uh, at the Beatitudes 
And I discovered something uh, yesterday that there are kind of two sets of Beatitudes. Everybody knows uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew, I believe, which says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or that. And I, I always found that a bit curious. Um, apparently the interpretation of poor in spirit is humble, um, not uh, lacking in kind of any spiritual life. But there is another set of beatitudes or another set of sayings in Luke. And I don't know if you've come across them, but it's in two parts. Uh, first part says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And then there is a verse in between that says, you know, there will come a time. And there are then four more verses which complement this, and they traditionally called the four woes. And they are actually exactly the opposite. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, I think you have to probably be careful interpreting, interpreting these. Uh, they may have been sort of directed at a people at a certain point in time to try to, to give them hope. Um, but it, it's also um, possible that people down the ages have uh, picked this up and saying, well, you know, we shouldn't have any wealth at all here and the rich people are really damned or whatever. Uh, because I, I don't think that is uh, the essence of Christianity. But it, it's, uh, I, I found it very interesting. Now, what about in unificationism? We're not a monastic tradition with vows of poverty, not like uh, St. Francis's order where people would give up everything. And yet, we come very much on a Christian foundation. Uh, when uh, I joined in the very beginning of the 80s, and some people here joined before, we were actually asked to give up everything. We gave up all our material possessions, and our hope was really that we were going to build the kingdom of heaven. We were going to do something fantastic. Um, now, I didn't join very young. I, I was uh, 27 when I joined. I had been working uh, in the world for a number of years, uh, and uh, I had been uh, living in Brunei, I worked for IBM, for Shell. I, I built up some assets. I had a house in the UK, and I had a fair amount of money in the bank uh, as I was traveling. Um, but I actually, I happily gave those up um, because I was so inspired. Now, obviously, my parents were not inspired. <laughs> My dad went nuts. Um, 
and even um, you know in his will he he tried you know he, he basically uh, wanted to make sure that uh, he didn't even an awful lot of money and that mostly went on my mother's care after that but he wanted to make sure that his money didn't end up being donated through me to uh, the unification movement <laughs> so different views on life perhaps from the spirit world he sees things differently I don't know um, but it does raise a question. I think especially now, um, you know, in the last eight to 10 years, there's been a lot of uh, changes in our movement and people have gone in different directions. And uh, some people are maybe asking, well, was the sacrifice worth it? Um, and I think some second generation, uh, because you didn't, uh, maybe have to live through this, but you felt the effects of the decisions your parents had made earlier in life. Uh, they probably wished that they'd, they'd been born into a family with more material wealth, um, uh, when, especially when they saw the way their friends and uh, the, their schoolmates were living and uh, some of the things that they could do that they, they, they couldn't do. Um, Does anyone here uh, who made sacrifices regret joining the unification movement and wonder what life might have been if they hadn't met the movement? You don't have to answer that on camera, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you you know if you've had or you have thoughts like that, um, so personally, I would say never regret anything. Regret is the most useless of emotions. Um, first of all, you can't change the past. There are all, always things, if we look back, that we might have done differently. But a major decision like life-changing uh, is probably not one you should have regrets about. Um, The reason is that if you regret the, pre the present, it's really a denial of your past and everything that's led you up until this point. So essentially, we, we should rejoice in life. So when I think back, and I, I will be honest and say, uh, it was a very different movement when I joined in the 80s. And if I has, was meeting the unification movement today, would I want to join it? I don't know, I think that's a question we can all ask ourselves. Um, but the one thing I cannot deny is that my life has been incredibly enriched through that encounter. I mean, the cornerstone I think of my life has been a direct encounter with God. I mean, you know, even if you went to Elon Musk and said to him, I don't know, maybe he's had a direct encounter with God, but I doubt it, um, and say, okay, you want to travel into space, what would you pay in order to go face to face with God and meet, meet God? How much would that be worth? Um, I think it would probably be worth an awful lot more than... Uh, most most of us ever make in a lifetime. And the second thing is, we were given the principle. We were given a roadmap for our lives. 
And in my case, it was life-changing. And I suspect it was life-changing in everyone else's case here. So uh, it has helped us understand how we should live. You know, there are people in the world, you look, you know, I kind of stumbled across a TV program, uh, won't even say what it was, but it was so dreadful. And it was like a modern TV program that a lot of people are watching. And I thought, this is absolutely disgusting. You know, have people just kind of lost all sense of direction and decency and values? And, uh, you know, I, I think that we all have to feel so grateful for having encountered the principle and having understood how things work having understood spiritual laws, having understood how the things that we do affect our lives. Um, but my life's been enriched in many other ways. I have a lifelong partner, a beautiful family, two wonderful children um, who are now hopefully launched and on their own way and don't have to depend on uh, the parents anymore, but have a foundation to take forward in terms of their, their values and the, the things that they want in life. And other things, you know, throughout my life, and I think that Francoise really can relate to this, um, but I felt incredibly supported by the spirit world. You know, uh, I, I'm not gonna go into details. I'll tell you one, one story um, about when I joined the church and. Uh, I'd given what cash I had uh, to the movement in, uh, in Camp K out in California. But I had to get back to England and, uh, uh, in a hurry. And I had agreed with the camp director that was uh, Jennifer that I would go back to England. And then she had to go away for two or three weeks and um, someone else took over. And I said to him, look, you know, uh, Jennifer has said that I can go back to England. Um, but, you know, I need some money for the plane fare. So I think he kind of gave me $200 and a ride to the airport. And I was standing in the queue to buy a ticket. And um, I heard them saying, oh, it's going to be 230 or $240, something like that. And I said to the guy standing in front, I said, did they say that the ticket was $240? He says, yes, that's right. He said, I've only got 200 He says, what are you going to do? I said, hopefully I'm going to borrow it from someone. I said, could you lend me $40? <laughs> it was amazing. I don't know, that person uh, could have been anyone else. And then I said, no, sorry, get lost. But he said, yes. And I took his name and address. And I, I had a little money in a bank account in England. And when I got back, I, I sent him a check uh, with, with a thank you note. Um, but I thought, you know, that, that's amazing, you know. Uh, and I, but you know, fundraising experience, all sorts of experiences. Father wanted to give us those experiences through the formula course. And I think we've all got amazing stories to tell. I wanna talk about community and well-being. And I wanna say thank you actually to Peter and thank you to David and thank you to Francoise. Um, I feel like uh, although we didn't talk about this uh, service at all, I think everything dovetails together really, really nicely. Now, 
Um, last week, we learned that a sister of ours in Ireland called Noriko Manning passed away at the age of 61, which is really a, a tragedy. Um, I, I don't know her, neither my wife nor I had ever met her. Um, but like many other members of our community, uh, her family were hard pressed to pay, pay for her funeral, which actually is, is terribly shocking really that we, we live our lives of faith and we get to the end of our lives and, and we struggle to even pay for a funeral. Um, but it's sort of becoming, it is, I feel like more common than it should be, but it's also becoming like a tradition in our movement that uh, we can use GoFundMe and, and members' hearts are opened and as a community we can support each other and perhaps there will be more and more of that as time goes by. But it's like uh, the world and the internet, it's moved to a place where, where charity and personal charity is, is much more accessible to us as a movement. But I want to address a question. Um, should the movement have done more to support the members? Um, some people feel, well, I gave everything, and why, why didn't the movement look after me? Um, my response to that is actually very much in line. You know, JFK in 1960, John, John F. Kennedy, uh, made that famous quote, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think that was the premise behind us. When we join this movement, it's like, you know, ask not what you need from God, but ask God what you can do, do for him. And I think uh, my criticism of the church is the opposite, that we haven't, we've been too self-serving actually, we haven't done enough to really kind of touch the hearts of people around the world and really make them want to, to engage with us and engage with the principle. Um, I'm not going to go into debate on that, uh, but uh, we can talk about it over coffee if you like. But I think Father would love GoFundMe. I think, you know, it's not the responsibility of our movement. We join the movement to take responsibility for the world. And although there have been some very, very difficult situations, and although I said that I uh, was able to give a lot to the church when I joined, I feel like people who join much earlier sacrifice more because they sacrifice their careers. I was at least able to uh, maintain a CV and it enabled me over the years to, to find work and support my family. Um, but we're being drawn together, I feel, even more as a community uh, to work together, to be aware of each other's situations and to help each other out. So I want to talk about inequality. How many people have ever heard this before. Father, so someone, father was asked the question, Father, in the world there are rich people and poor people. In our movement there are rich people and poor people. Why is this? 
<laughs> Did you ever hear, hear, hear this? No? Father answered, what do you think his answer was? He answered with, actually with a single word. Indemnity. Father said, indemnity, that's all he said. And I've often thought about that. I thought, what an enigmatic answer that is, you know? And I think it, it says a lot, you know, Father's view of the world was totally a, a spiritual one, that we live in a spiritual reality. And I can see three ways of interpreting that. It could be that because people's lineage and ancestors had paid, made incredible sacrifices, then they had gained ancestral merit. And that ancestral merit was played through uh, in their lives. I, I've met people and I felt, oh my gosh, you come from such an amazing lineage and you're so blessed that that merit plays through because the indemnity has been paid by their ancestors. There's another way of interpreting it and saying, well, you know, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of uh, past transgressions, either in your own life or in your lineage. We know in, uh, the principle about the four different types of sin. Uh, and now you are paying to uh, reverse that or, or to, uh, you're, you're, you're paying so that you can go forward. But it could mean a third thing, that just like the monk said, you're sacrificing now to build up treasures for the future. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's something that we can think about and, and see, you know, how it applies to our own life and, and how we interpret it. One thing that we shouldn't do is look at other people's lives and make some sort of comparison because actually we don't know anything about what happens in other people's lives. We don't know about the suffering, the trials, the, the sacrifices. You know, we don't know about their health even. So I'd like to finish with a final thought. Um, I was... I, I read The Economist, and uh, I stumbled across a book review about uh, Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee. Do you know who they are? They were an actor and actress, and they were beautiful people in their age. They were in, uh, I think, maybe Gone with the Wind. Um, uh, but they were the celebrities of their time. And uh, in... The book review says, Build as the romance of the century, it must have seemed that the couple were leading the most charmed of lives. Now, they were married 20 years and eventually they divorced. But Noel Coward, who's a, a playwright, he was a lifelong friend of theirs and summed up the latter days in his diary. Their life together is really hideous. They were scrabbling about in the cold ashes of a physical passion that burnt itself out years ago. 
They are eminent, successful, envied and adored, and most wretchedly unhappy. So that struck me. So can I start with the question that, finish with the question I started with, uh, how many people here feel wealthy? Yeah, more, more than we started with? Okay, uh, leave that for your thoughts. Thank you.